It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. There are individuals in the music business known as a sideman who are sometimes called a hired gun. You may not know their face nor their name, but there's a good chance you may have heard their music or you may have even seen them in concert with some of the biggest names in the business. My guest today is one such sideman, a bass player named Dwayne Pate, who has toured and recorded, for example, with blues rock guitarist and five-time Grammy nominee Robin Ford, ten-time Grammy-winning trumpeter Arturo Sandoval, funk legend's Tower of Power, bluesman Chris Kane, and others. Pate is currently the bassist for the Tommy Igo Groove Conspiracy. Igo, by the way, is the creator of the Birdland Big Band, and Pate also plays with the Ray Charles Project. Dwayne Pate has been so busy as a sideman, it has taken him more than 14 years to produce a second and now latest album as a leader. It's called On the Upside, and this is the title track. Conversation today with Dwayne begins with his role as a sideman. Thanks for being our guest on All That's Jazz, Dwayne. Thank you for having me. Would it be an unfair characterization, or at least maybe not so flattering, but at the same time a part of reality for a musician like yourself, who is an artist that probably many people have never heard of, but yet many, many people have heard you? That's probably correct. <laughs> That's the life of being a sideman, a hired gun, per se. Sidemen in, in the recording industry are, are people that millions and millions of people are familiar with in terms of their talent and hearing what they produce and perform, but they may not know their name. Right. That's you know, true. And, and yeah. we were watching recently a, 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 a documentary about the Muscle Shoals studio in Alabama. Yeah. And when you see who has recorded in those studios and where those house or sidemen uh, are on those recordings. Yeah. Yeah, all those guys uh, have played on all the hits that we all grew up with. And same thing with the Motown guys, you know. James Jamerson and all those guys who did the Motown stuff. We've all, you know, listened to those tunes over and over again, and nobody knows. <laughs> nobody w would have a clue who all those people who made all those great sounds and contributed to all those great songs and recordings. Nobody knows, you know, your average layperson doesn't know who those people are, you know. 
Yeah, but you, you're an integral part of the, the music industry. And if it weren't for people like yourself as sidemen, those well-known artists wouldn't have that sound that they have that everyone knows and loves. It's part of the business, good or bad. You know, it's just the way it is. And I've always enjoyed being a sideman and being part of a team. I, I, that's what I love to do. I mean, leading your own band is a different skill set, obviously. There's a different different uh, challenges that come along with that. And so, yeah, but, and I've done a little bit of that, but I've mostly been uh, a side man with people and I, I enjoy doing that. You know, it's, it's fun. Well, and, and there's no shame in being a side man because A, you're making a living. And, and like you said, you don't have all that pressure of being the band leader or having your own group and having to assemble them and travel and, take care of all the other arrangements that go along with it, et cetera. But yeah. instead you show up, you go to work, you play, you have fun, like you said, and you you get a few bucks in your wallet and walk out of the place. Yeah. And uh, for me, the, the one of the, the positives to that is that I get to play with a lot of different artists over my career. And, and I like the variety. You know, I've played with some of the, some top name people and it's, it's fun to go from one to the other. You know, one time you're playing with Tower of Power, you know, and then you, you'll be playing some blues gigs with Chris Kane, a great blues guitarist, or Robin Ford, or, you know, and then you'll go to Arturo Sandoval and play some Latin jazz. And I, I just love the variety. I love, it keeps me fresh. It keeps my playing fresh. And it, it's a challenge. And, uh, yeah, I mean, leading your own band, you're, you're kind of locked into doing your thing over and over and over again until you record a new CD and you get some new material out. So there's that. And it, it can get stale if you don't work really hard to make it not stale, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that's another whole, you know, that's a challenge that goes along with the band leader thing. There's a whole group of challenges that come along with that. And I think if you're not ready to do that, you probably better off being uh, working with somebody else and, and, yeah, I get to go work with great people, and I, I go home after the gig, and I, I don't have to deal with the pressure of, you know, you got to go sign CDs, or you got to, you know, talk to people for two hours after the gig, and that can be fun, too. That's fun sometimes, but you don't feel obligated to do it. You know, I, I show up and do my gig, and uh, and then I just do whatever you want to do after that. So, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to both of them, and that's just what I love to do. You know, there's, it depends on who you're playing with and the quality of the music that makes it fun and interesting. So I played country music. I One of the first bands I ever played with was my grandfather's country band. My grandfather's kind of who got me started in playing music. I mean, I always had a love for music since I was a kid, but he was a guitar player. So I actually started out on guitar. And then when I was in junior high, I, I took up upright bass. So that was the first bass I played. I played upright bass and, and guitar at the same time. And then when I got into high school, I wanted to play in a jazz band. I wanted to play guitar in the jazz band, but they already had a guitar player. So they they didn't have an electric bass player. So they said, hey, you want to play electric bass? And I said, I wanted to be in the band so bad. I said, sure. So that's what I didn't take up electric bass until when I was uh, you know, a freshman in, in uh, high school, 15 years old or something like that. My parents were country music fans, so I, I kind of grew up listening to Merle Haggard and George Jones and country music. And I didn't really get into jazz until I got into high school, you know, high school jazz band and stuff like that. But 
when I was in high school, I listened to rock and funk and Earth, Wind and Fire and Boston and all the stuff that you listen to when you're teenagers. So I didn't really get into uh, jazz until I got into, you know, educational and the school and stuff like that. You know, but I've always loved playing lots of different styles of music. After all the years of being a sideman, you've branched out and have done work on your own. Namely, one of the reasons why we're talking today is your uh, latest release. In fact, I believe it's your second release as a leader, and uh, it's called On the Upside. But in 2008, that was uh, the year that you put out one of your first CDs as a leader, and that was Melting Pot. It has a little bit of everything in it from uh, blues, funk, even world music. And I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that there really is a heavy emphasis on world music in that recording. Yeah, well, the first tune, Melting Pot, I used uh, a friend of mine who plays didgeridoo. He's really good. And then I used uh, a guy who sings, like, chanting and, and, and stuff. And it's, yeah, it's that first tune, Melting Pot, is kind of the most world music type of thing on that CD, but I also used a couple of the guys from Saka Show, which is Andy Norell's band of uh, the guys from Paris that he's been working with. I don't know if that band's still together. I think they are, but I used those guys on a couple tunes. So yeah, there's a little bit more of a, a world music influence on that CD. Between 2008 until now, today, in 2023, you finally produce another album. How come the disparity in, in the years, if you will, between 2008 and now? Well, I, I guess there's a couple of things. I, that first album I did, I just had a bunch of tunes that I really liked and I wanted to record. And I didn't have any plans, like we were talking about before, to be a leader. And a lot of my friends were saying, man, this, this CD is so good. You really should be out there playing this music for people. And, and like we talked about previously, I didn't really have a desire to be a band leader and go out. I was, I was really busy working as a sideman with other people and there really wasn't any time for me to like devote energy into forming a band and taking it out there, promoting that music, which was probably a mistake. I don't know. That's part of it. And then the other reason I just hadn't written any new material. So about, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years ago, I, I had written a bunch of new tunes and, and they were just kind of sitting around and I wanted to record them. So when COVID came around, it was kind of a, there wasn't any touring or any playing live, obviously. So I had time to, to do it. So I just said, hey, I'm going to use this time to, to record these tunes that I wrote like years ago. And then I want to, I had a lot of ideas for each tune that I wanted to do and who I wanted to use on them. So I finally, COVID was like the perfect opportunity for me to, to do another one. When you were putting this together, what led you, first of all, to call it On the Upside? It's just a play on, a play on words of the one tune, uh, the tune On the Upside that's, that's on there, which is just uh, a musical terminology, terminology play on words. It's a lot of the, uh, the melody on that tune, a lot of the notes come on the upbeat instead of the downbeat. So I, it's kind of just a play of words on that tune. And it has kind of a positive connotation to it. So, uh, and things have been going good around here lately. And so I, it did have kind of a con, you know, positive connotation to it that I added to it. But it's also just a play on words on, on, that, on that one tune that's on there. How long did it take you to develop that? And when did you start actually recording it? You mean the, the whole CD? Or yes. Just, 
Well, like I said, there was there were three or four tunes that I had written maybe almost ten years ago, and then I played live with some people around in the Bay Area, and then I, in the years after that, I had also had some ideas, like I said, of some other tunes that I wanted to do. Some of the couple of the cover tunes, like Iceman and Smile, I had some ideas how I wanted to reinterpret those. So it just started kind of coalescing into wow, I've got like nine or 10 tunes now. So then when COVID hit, I was like, wow, this is, I've got enough material now to actually do this. So I might as well do it. You, you then started figuring out who it is and how you would record with an, literally an all-star band. Are these people that you all worked with or knew and, and could simply pick up the phone and say, hey, I got an idea for a, a release. Are you wanting in? Yeah, pretty much everybody on there is people that I've worked with in the past. I mean, Dennis Chambers was on my first CD, so I knew him from playing on that. And then Robin, we've talked about. And yeah, pretty much everybody on there are uh, people that I've worked with in the past. And when I wrote the tunes, I would that was the easiest part, just saying, oh, man, this is perfect for so-and-so. I want so-and-so to play on this. You know, that was kind of the easiest thing. That kind of works itself out organically. It's pretty simple. Yeah, but Dwayne, not only did you choose an all-star cast, but you also chose multiple people playing one instrument. So in other words, you had a number of guitarists, you had a number of percussionists, a number of vocalists, etc. Why did you extend it out that way rather than focusing on one quartet or maybe a sextet something like that yeah well because there's so much variety in 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 the compositions like you were saying what you know there's there's an organ trio thing on there there's a couple of fusion things on there there's a blues funk number on there so i have certain people in 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 mind for each one of those kind of idioms i mean it would be easier to do that if i was just doing a like if i was doing a straight ahead jazz thing and every tune was a straight ahead jazz thing or or if it was an all funk album you could use the same band for everything but when you have an album where there's a bunch of different styles on there it gets a little bit more it's a it's a different challenge to get people who play certain idioms really well Mm -hmm. you know and you want to use specialists and specialists they are and what's interesting is that so many of them are from the bay area or from california when you look at the who's who that's on this album they are literally all stars in terms of who they've played with everyone from herbie hancock to santana to the yellow jackets to not only people in the jazz genre but in funk and blues and you name it many of these people have played with a lot of world-renowned artists yeah well a lot of them are world-renowned artists in of themselves i mean they they like robin ford is you know obviously one of the best guitar players on the planet and dennis chambers on drums and chris kane is is a a really great blues um guitarist in the blues world a lot of people maybe out in the jazz world they don't know about Chris, but Chris is, is highly respected by everyone from Larry Carlton and Joe Bonamassa and Robin Ford. And everybody knows who Chris Kane is in the guitar world. Yeah. Everybody on there has got their own careers. Like a lot of the Santana guys are on there. Carl Perrazzo's percussion player from, you know, for Santana for like 
30 years. And my buddy Dave Matthews, a keyboard player, he's been working with Santana for the last, I don't know, 15 or 17 years. And, and the Dave Matthews you mentioned is not the one that has the, the Dave famous. Matthews band. It's the David no. K. Matthews. David K. David Kirk Matthews. Yeah, he gets that all the time. Yeah. Let's run through some of the guys uh, and the women that are in uh, the ensemble uh, because uh, I, I think people, uh, in terms of you know playing a little association game here and and know who these people are, it's it's pretty amazing. Like Norbert Stachel. Yeah. You know, Tower of Power, Freddie Hubbard, Roy Hargrove, George Cables, Bobby Hutcherson, Benny Green, on and on and on. Among the guitarists, you've got Barry Finnerty, and he's played with a host of so many people, including, again, Tower of Power, but also Hubie Laws. And then you got uh, a, a mutual friend, your good buddy uh, Ray Obieto uh, on guitar. Then you, you have the vocalists uh, on here, and it, they, they are three outstanding vocalists that, that surprisingly, you know, when you begin to see who they are and what they have done and who they've worked with, uh, the, and also what they've accomplished in their own right, is pretty amazing. Starting first with Tony Lindsay. 25 some odd years with Santana. Yep. He was the lead singer for Santana up until about a few, a few years ago. But yeah, he was with him for, yeah, many, many years. Incredible singer. And then you have Amakela Gaston. Yeah. She's not only an incredible vocalist who's performed with another who's who of, uh, of the music world, but she's also the founder and director of an international cultural arts and healing science organization and institute. Yeah, I think she's in Asia right now doing that. She goes all over the world with that organization and, and does a lot of good work with it. And yeah, I just met her probably 10 years ago and, and she's, she's incredible, incredible person and, and, and a great singer too. And then there is uh, Juan Luis Perez. Yeah, and I just met him, and uh, I hadn't known him before that, so I, we just met to do the tune on there on Imperial Strut. It is an amazing lineup that you have on this. The whole sound of it is just really great. You get hooked on each one. Every tune seems to top the next one, then the next one. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out which of these nine tracks that are on this album that I, I could say is my favorite. And I can't. I, I just can't. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's good to hear. <laughs> Let's take a little romp through the CD and, and go through some of the tracks and, and talk about them. Uh, you started out, but which, by the way, the, the, the first song is one of your compositions, but you have a number of compositions on here. Yep. The first one on it is called For the Five of It. Yeah, it's a, just another play on words. It's a musical. It's in 5-4 time, you know, so uh, it's just a play on words, nothing too deep. That's that's the short story on that title. Yeah, but man, is it uh, is it one that definitely establishes it? Because right out of the box, it's like, wow, if you like this one, wait, there's more. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, that one also, uh, people were giving me a hard time about not giving Dennis Chambers any solos on my first CD because he's, he's obviously a great groove player, but he's also an incredible soloist. And Dave Matthews was saying, you know, you hired Dennis, you didn't give him any solos. And for the five of it has a built-in drum solo at the end of the tune. So I said, well, it's time to hire Dennis. Tell me about the romantic ballad that you have, uh, and it's one of your compositions, and it's called Ellen. Yeah, I wrote that tune, and it turned out to be kind of a homage to Jeff Beck. And even before he passed away, I wrote this tune like, I don't know, a couple of year, few years ago. And it wasn't initially going to be kind of a Jeff Beck ballad vibe, but it turned into that because I had Steph Burns, who's a great guitarist who's from this area also, and he lives part-time in Milan. And it kind of just morphed into this kind of Jeff Beck type ballad and, and Steph did a great job on it. And then the title I just named after, it's my mom's middle name. thought of that because it was a tune that I thought she would really like if she was sitting out in the audience and she heard this tune she would she would say oh that's my favorite tune on the, on the CD and you put a lot of beauty to it it's it's a oh, wonderful thank song thank you thank you so another one of yours is Oliver's Twist which I like uh, I, I think it's probably indicative of what that song maybe means because it's uh, inspired a little bit by Oliver Nelson, who's very much in like the big band era, et cetera. But then there you add the sort of hip flavor to it with your bass. Yeah, it's I didn't have a title for that one. And Dave Matthews said, you know, that melody, uh, the, the riff and the melody is kind of a based off an Oliver Nelson lick. And, and I said, oh, wow. And, and I said, okay. Well, that makes, you know, sometimes you pick up licks and, and you write melodies off them and you don't even know where they came from. You just say, oh, I know this lick. And he goes, well, that's kind of a, that's an Oliver Nelson idea. And I said, oh, cool. Well, I'll just, so I called it Oliver's Twist. <laughs> Thank you. 
Another one that I like follows the Smile track on the album, and it's a blues kind of tune. Uh, that one, uh, that one's interesting. It's uh, I wrote this, sh- I wrote this shuffle. It's like a blues shuffle. I wrote it like I don't know, almost ten years ago, and I said I'm going to record this someday with my dream rhythm section for a blues shuffle tune, which would be. Kevin Hayes, a buddy of mine who lives in the Bay Area, played with Robert Cray for like 21 years. It would be me and Kevin and Dave Matthews on keys and Robin Ford on guitar, just a quartet thing. And uh, we added Mark Russo on alto on it. That one just comes from there. There was an old tune called uh, Monmouth College Fight Song, which I believe I don't think it was. It might have been Yellow Jackets, but uh, it was Randy Crawford and Robin Ford and a bunch of different people played on that back in the '80s. And uh, the melody kind of is similar to that tune. It reminded me of that tune, so I called it Blues All of Monmouth. So that's where the Monmouth thing comes from. A uh, fun tune as well. Well, you also have a, a, a funky sort of Tower of Power groove thing going on with Iceman, one of the vocals. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, an idea that I've had for, for almost 10 years, too, that I, I took one of my favorite Albert Collins tunes. Iceman, Albert Collins is one of my favorite of the older blues guys like B.B. King. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I said, man, I love this tune. It's really funky. And I wanted to put a Tower of Power kind of East Bay, Greece type of thing to it. And that's one I've been wanting to rearrange for so long that I finally got a chance to do. So, yeah, I just wanted to make it more of a Tower of Power kind of groove. And uh, Ray plays great rhythm guitar on it and the sack and, and the horns are great on it. And then I had Tony Lindsay sing it and he, he killed it. great on that tune it's one of my favorites on the the album tell me about smile i mean here's a song written supposedly by charlie chaplin 
Uh, and and then there's, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that this was uh, originally recorded by Nat King Cole. How did that make its way onto your album? It's always been one of my favorite tunes of the old standards. And uh, I, when I was working with Arturo Sandoval, he would do that tune. And he had this great arrangement that Shelly Berg did. It's on one of Arturo's CDs. Shelly Berg's a, a piano player. And, and, and I love that arrangement, but I wanted to do it as a, as an organ trio. Cause I'm, I'm a big organ trio fan too. And I thought I can get Dave, Dave was a great B3 player. So I wanted him to play on it. So I wanted to take Arturo and Shelley Berg's arrangement of it, the harmonic content of it, but do it as a organ trio vibe in three, in three, four time. So that's, it's kind of a conglomeration of a couple different arrangement ideas, you know, so that's, how I came up with that. And of course, the vocal is done by Amakayla Gaston. Yeah, she kills it. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. Oh, for when there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. favorite guitar players who's a local guy who a lot of people don't know is Jim Nichols who's kind of a Chet Atkins disciple but he's a great jazz player and I've been wanting to get him on one of my recordings for a long time and I finally got him on on Smile and he plays a great guitar solo and then he sounds just incredible. Tell me about Russell Ferrantes who is with the Yellow Jackets Imperial Strut. Yeah, that's another one of my favorite fusion tunes from the 80s that uh, a bunch of my friends and I have played throughout the years and cover bands and stuff. And I that was another idea that's been in my noggin for the last 10 years. Just I wanted to rearrange this as a kind of a Latin 6-8 type of tune. So, mm-hmm. um, And I wanted to incorporate Dave Garibaldi's uh, playing on that because he comes up with all these incredible funk, funky Latin grooves. And I thought he was perfect for that. And he kind of came up with the groove and I, we kind of worked it out together, but it, it was kind of based around David Garibaldi's drumming, to be honest. He was kind of the uh, foundation for this. And then I just kind of fell in and then we added, you know, the Latin chant and uh, Robin plays a guitar solo at the end of it. And he played on the original. So I wanted to get him on that tune too.
Well, and you bring it all to a close near the end. Uh, the last track on the album is one from Curtis Mayfield, and it's People Get Ready. Yeah, I recorded that during uh, COVID with this company called Music in Place here in the in the Bay Area. They were having musicians get together and, and do videos to keep music alive here in the Bay Area. And that's another one I had an idea to do, a tune I've always loved, and I just wanted to do a kind of a, a bass feature with just an organic bass and percussion and vocalist. did a similar thing on my first CD with a Yvonne Lynn's tunes. So I wanted to do another tune like that. And so I've always loved that tune. So I, that's the one where I wanted to do kind of an organic trio thing. How would you describe this album overall in terms of a genre? Is there a, a place to put it on the shelf? Uh, does it go into funk? Does it go into R&B? Does it go to blues? Does it go to jazz or what? I never have those kind of things in mind when I start recording a CD. I just write a bunch of stuff and I don't try to put it in any kind of box, but uh, it would it probably would fit more into, you know, jazz more than, you know, there's only really one funk tune on there and uh, there's one Latin-ish type tune on there. So, you know, mostly it would probably fall under, under the jazz umbrella, but I try not to even think that way. So now that you put this one out on the street and uh, it's there and it's your second as a leader, when's the next one? When's the third one? Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll have to see. I don't know. I mean, it's uh, as you probably know, and, and most musicians and artists that are producing their own stuff, it's a, it's a time and in, in financial investment if you're not hooked up with uh, a major record la label. So, uh, it's, uh, it's not done on a whim, let's just put it that way. Right. It's a big time and money investments. We'll see. You know, uh, I always enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. And uh, uh, actually doing the album is the easiest thing. What comes after that, the marketing and getting it out there and, and whether you're going to tour with it, that's the more difficult part for me. Well, maybe with the release of this album and having it be out there for all to hear, enjoy, and fall in love with, Dwayne Pate will no longer be the person you never heard of, but <laughs> be the person everyone has heard of. Oh, thank you. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So how can our listeners learn more about you? Um, I've got a new website out, and uh, you can find out it. I just can, it's uh, Pate Bass, 
P-A-T-E-B-A-S-S, paintbass.com. That's where you can find out about this CD and my first CD and where I'm going to be playing and what I'm all about. Anything in terms of Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook? I'm not on Instagram right now. Facebook, you can find me on Facebook. I'll probably get Instagram happening at some point. I'm sure people are going to learn and know more about you in a big hurry because this album, On the Upside, by bassist Dwayne Pate is absolutely fantastic. And it's been a distinct pleasure and honor to have this conversation with you and have you as our guest on All That's Jazz. Thanks, Alan. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It means a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with bassist, composer, sideman, and now leader, Dwayne Pate. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.